Welcome to the St. Richard's Episcopal Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Rev. Cameron Nations. For more information, please visit strichards.org. So today is one of those days where, as the preacher, you sort of feel like the lectionary is playing a little bit of a joke on you. Um, You've got a pretty long reading from 1 Samuel. You've got Psalm 23, which is like one of the Bible's greatest hits, you know what I mean? And then you've got, you technically do have an epistle reading, and then you get 41 verses out of the Gospel of John, all of John chapter 9. If you were wondering if there's any more John chapter 9 after this, there is not. We read the whole thing, okay? And so, you, you know, you look at that as a preacher, and you go, and I've got roughly 15 minutes, so good luck, right? Um, okay. So, so we'll do the best we can today. Uh, but we're going to begin, actually, with a little bit of a, of a I don't want to say a game, maybe, but a little bit of an exercise. That sounds better, an exercise, okay? I want y'all to complete these quotes, okay? Don't judge a book by its... Okay, good, that was an easy one, that's good. This one's a little harder, because the blank comes at the beginning, Okay? Blank, don't make the man. Close. Okay, all right, good. Good job. Now this one, this is a little longer, but this is one of like the most famous quotes uh, from any speech in American history. Okay, so I hope we get this one for a number of reasons. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. character. Good job. Great job. Yes. Each of these quotes express a similar sentiment, right? That we, as part of human nature, tend to judge things by their appearance. And sometimes, as the quote from Dr. King in particular brings to mind, this can have rather significant and severe consequences, right? Not just missing out on a good book because the cover art is meh, you know, but actually discriminating against other people, seeing them as less than because of something superficial about them. And it does seem part of the human condition that we are predisposed as humans towards a kind of prejudice whereby we do associate certain superficial characteristics with substantive differences that we then use as grounds for judgment to label others and often in an attempt to dismiss them, right? It tends to only go that way. When we label somebody, it's often not to build them up, right? It's to tear them down or to put them in a box somewhere where we conveniently don't have to deal with them. Now, in Jesus' day, there was a tendency to associate certain maladies or circumstantial things in one's life as evidences of God's favor, or, in the case that we read about today, uh, lack thereof, right? In John chapter 9, we hear uh, about a man born blind who becomes an object of inquiry for Jesus' disciples. Right? Right off the bat, they want to know 
fact, all of the religious people in this story want to know this, not just Jesus' disciples, but the Pharisees take up this question too right after this. It says, uh, or rather, the religious folks all want to know who sinned in order to make this man blind, right? Like, who sinned to make this happen? Was it something that his family did and as a consequence this man was born blind? Is it something that he did to bring this upon himself? Who is responsible? And Jesus' response to this question is very telling. He says, well, basically none of the above. This is not how it works. No one sinned to make the man blind. There is no causality between sin and this man's blindness at all. That's missing the point. The blind man, like all of us, Jesus says, was born so that God's works might be revealed in him. That God's works might be revealed in him. And so what does Jesus do next? Well, he takes some mud, he, well, he creates some mud, he spits in the dirt and creates some mud, and he rubs it in the man's eyes and he tells him to go wash in a pool, a pool of Siloam which John's Gospel helpfully translates for us as scent, as scent. And I think this is important. We'll come back to this in a second. The man does as Jesus instructs him, and he comes back, and he's able to see. He's able to see. Now, the point is not that there are challenges that plague us or that we face in this world and life. We all know that, right? But rather, the point, the emphasis here in this passage, the one that the religious leaders do not seem to get, is actually on God's ability to bring about restoration even in the midst of what we face in our lives. About our ability, always, to be conduits of God's action in the world. Okay? Now, this is why I think the pool that he washes in is significant. The word sent there, right? That this is missional in some sense. But we often get caught up in how it all works and we miss the point there. Now this healing is a foreshadowing of Jesus' next major sign. This is one of the signs that Jesus performs in John's Gospel. There are seven of these, um, somewhat arbitrarily because <laughs> biblical scholars argue over what things are the seven signs because we have to have seven, right? You, you have to have, that's a good number. We can't have a weird number. So it's got to be seven. Um, but this is, uh, some would say, the penultimate sign that Jesus performs in John's gospel. Although some would say that the Jesus on the cross is the seventh. We're not going to get into any of that this morning. What I will say, though, is that this is a sign that Jesus performs, and it's a really significant one. And the next one that he will perform is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And both of these, in some way, or some sense, rather, are foreshadowing of Jesus' own death and resurrection. But the religious folks in this story are so caught up in trying to figure out who sinned and how they sinned. Is it the man that was born blind? Is it his family? Is it Jesus? Jesus seems a likely candidate. He healed this guy on the Sabbath, and that's not good. So Jesus must be the sinner. The religious folks are so caught up in trying to figure out who sinned and how that they miss both the miracle and the mission. The miracle and the mission. 
Now, in 1 Samuel, because we did have other readings this morning, I did mention them. In 1 Samuel, we come into the story at a very interesting moment, and I, I don't want us to miss this. It's, it's the moment where Israel has to choose a new king, okay? Now, some of you will remember, God did not initially want Israel to have a king. But we always want what other people have, and everybody else had kings, okay? And Israel was like, oh, we want one too. We want a king too. And so uh, they insist, and God's like, okay, well, it'll go wrong, but like, you can have a king, that's fine. And so they had King Saul, and Saul had fallen out of God's favor. We hear about that a little bit at the beginning of today's reading. And so now it is time for the prophet Samuel to discern who God desires to serve as Israel's next leader, okay? This falls to Samuel to do. Uh, Saul was physically a very imposing man. He possessed all of the physical characteristics that one might associate with leadership at that time. You have to think about, this is a warrior society, right? So you want a warrior king, right? Uh, and so when Samuel calls all of these folks together uh, to choose the next king, folks presume the young man who is chosen will be tall and strong and, like, ready to fight, right? So Samuel gathers everyone together, and he looks to choose one of Jesse's sons. And Jesse's important. We hear about him in some of the readings as we get to Easter, and we hear about him around Christmas time as well. Uh, and so Jesse comes back for a reason that I'm about to explain. Um, but anyway, Samuel is going to choose one of Jesse's sons, and it's a pretty high likelihood one of them should work out because there's eight of them, okay? That's a, it's a lot of sons, and so out of the eight, surely one's going to be kingly, okay? But one of these sons is missing, the youngest son, and that son is David, right? Famous King David. We know where this is going because... We know it becomes King David, okay? But David is the youngest. He didn't really fit the mold, uh, and he's out there still tending to the sheep because surely it's not going to be David that God chooses, and yet it is, of course, right? Uh, and Samuel anoints David to be the king. And God says something to Samuel here. He says, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Mortals look on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And we see here, as is often the case, God has a different set of criteria than we do. Right? We see this all the time in the Gospels. Every time Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, it's very different from the way that our world works. It's sort of upside down in a very glorious sense. And sure enough, we see that here as well. God isn't concerned with outward appearances, with superficialities, but with the heart, with the substance of our being. But as I said, we can get so caught up in trying to pass judgment on others, dismissing them and their fitness to do God's work, Right? Not seeing them as, as, as someone God might actually choose to work in and through, that we miss our own mission. Our mission to love. Our mission to see Christ, as our, our baptismal covenant tells us to do, right? To see 
Christ in other people, to seek and serve Christ in the other. But the good news this morning is what we just read from 1 Samuel, that God looks past the superficial and looks at the substantive, at our heart. Now, Lent as a season, and we're way in the midst of Lent now. We're actually pretty close. I was reminded during Sunday school we are terrifyingly close to Palm Sunday, Um, (laughs) which means we are close to Holy Week already, okay? And Lent, of course, is a season devoted to helping us turn inward, to look inward, to tend to matters of our hearts. And so that's the good news, is that God sees our hearts, God sees our intentions, but the challenge is that we need to also see like God sees. That we, in examining ourselves, would notice our own prejudices at work and would work to look past them, to get past them, so that we do not miss the miracle of God at work right in front of us, working in and through those who we are likely to miss. And so my prayer for us today would be that we would see as God sees, and that we would be exactly like the blind man, who after all is the one who gets it right. (laughs) All of the religious folks in the story, they, they they spend their whole time trying to figure it out trying to prove, well, maybe he wasn't really blind in the first place, or whatever, right? And they they go back and forth on this the entire time and miss the point which the blind man gets and at the end simply follows Jesus. And so sometimes we try to make it so much harder than it really is. And so this morning, I pray that we would look inside and tend to matters of our own heart so that we too may worship the Son of Man. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For service times or more information on St. Richard's, please visit strichards.org.